Hey Siri, how do I look? You look hot. <gasps> It's a new year, we've got a new outlook, a new attitude, we have a new theme for the podcast, and for this first episode of 2019, we have a new twist. Someone is interviewing me. That's right, my friend Amy Eddings, with whom I co-host a podcast about downtown Cleveland, wanted to sit down and talk to me about how I got started with this menswear lifestyle blogging that I do and things I do on social media and this podcast, the whole kit. She wanted to know how this all got started and how I became interested in it, what were my influences, and things like that. So a couple of months ago, uh, Amy and I sat down in a studio at IdeaStream, which is our local NPR station here in Cleveland, and we recorded a conversation. Uh, we talked for about an hour. And I'm going to put this out in two parts. This is the first of two parts. Because, uh, yeah, I, could, I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day. And it was really, no one has ever really sat me down and sort of talked to me about this. And uh, uh, with the exception of Mr. Dave Hill, uh, uh, on whose podcast I was a guest recently. I was actually his first guest in 2019. If you go to the Dave Hill podcasting incident, you can catch him on iTunes. Um, Dave came over to my apartment over the Christmas holidays, because Dave is a native Clevelander as well. His, uh, his dad is still here. And he was in town and came over, and we recorded a chit-chat at my, uh, my dining room table. Uh, I went to high school with Dave. In fact, I went to a dance with his sister Katie when we were in high school. Uh, but he was two years ahead of me at St. Ignatius High School here in Cleveland. And we had a good talk. But I, didn't, I did not know, literally, until Dave sat down and hit record, I did not know what he wanted to talk about. I didn't know if he wanted to talk about Cleveland after you know a couple of decades living in New York, or if he wanted to talk about Joan Rivers and my time with that, because he shared a story about Joan on an a uh, recent episode of his show. And um, we had gone back and forth about that a little bit on Twitter. I didn't know if it was going there. Um, but he said, as we were recording, he said he wanted to talk about, you know, the, the, the men's style stuff. And I felt like a little ill-prepared because I wasn't in character, for like so to speak. It's not nothing, nothing, this was all me, by the way. Dave is like such a great person to talk to. I love his pot. I love his whole kit extremely talented and and uh, um, diverse in his output. Um, and I like his music, too. So, yeah, I sort of felt like I wasn't really on my game uh, as much as I should have been during that conversation. As I listened to it when it came out a week ago, I thought, oh, man, I should have had a better answer for this and for that. And I don't know. I don't feel like I really connected with... <laughs> myself but it was great to see Dave and we had uh, laughs and it was it was a it was a good time so Amy as I was saying uh, Amy Eddings my podcast co-host with the downtowner here uh, yeah gave me a little interview so this is part one of a two-part conversation with me and the exquisite Ms. 
Amy Eddings. Here we go. No, this is just laziness. <laughs> I would. I like to shave too, and that's a shame. I enjoy the process. All right, I'm going to start your intro. Okay. And you're going to come in, but you'll know when to come in. All right. Because you'll listen to me and you'll follow my cues for once. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, I've been following your cues since hello. (laughs) I just choose to ignore some of them. That's all. (laughs) Feels good. (laughs) This is so wild. I've never, this is my first time, well, not my first time on my own podcast having a conversation with somebody else, but. It's the the tables are turned. I'm I know. the interviewee. This is so you're on the hot seat. Inter- I love a hot seat. So George and I work together on the Downtowner about Cleveland's oldest, newest neighborhood and what makes for effective living there. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to interview you because I want to know more about George Hahn, the man, the myth, the legend. What sartorial stealth means and how you got your look. My look. Yeah. So we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. So follow my my lead. I'm intrigued. I know. Well, so am I. And I think your listeners will be too. Okay. So first, I got to ask you, on Mm -hmm. social media, there's a TM by your name. You're Mm -hmm. a trademark? No, it just looked really cool to have one. (laughs) Seriously? That's all about appearances. Yeah. I'm not a trademark. I was going to say. But doesn't it look cool to have like George on TM? It does. Yeah. Okay. So it's just sort of, it's, it's an extra... I don't know, accent on the whole branding bit. <laughs> well, yeah, because when I see that, it makes me think you are you are presenting yourself as a brand. So what yeah. kind of brand would you be? What are, What is your brand? My brand is someone who is an advocate for effective living and in terms of how we present ourselves, raising the bar without necessarily spending all the dollars, you know, because there's such an emphasis on that. So what do you mean by raising the bar? It sounds like there's a critique in there about the way most men dress. Most men present themselves um, not well, I think. (laughs) That's that's an understatement. Well, yeah, particularly in Cleveland. You know, Cleveland is very, you know, more than one person has said to me, we're a casual town. I'm like, you didn't need to tell me that. I got that at, (laughs) I got that when the plane landed. Like, got it. Um. I think it's it's easy in this athleisure world, mm-hmm. you know, to get comfy and cozy and lazy and bring the comforts of the man cave everywhere we go. And we've lost a sense of occasion. And uh, I call it sartorial mashed potatoes. Guys are just kind of like wearing like the clothing equivalent of macaroni and cheese just because mm-hmm. it's comfortable and it makes them feel, I don't know, safe. And it's it's lazy. Why do you, well, is that all it is, laziness? Is it also affordability? Um, If it's, in my mind, it's not about affordability because shirts with collars don't cost any more than T-shirts or hoodies. Mm -hmm. And pants, you know, elastic waistband pants are no less expensive than regular pants. And plastic shoes that we can hose down (laughs) are not necessarily any less expensive than nicer shoes. So right. it's not about cost. I'm not a rich person at all. Sometimes, even in recent years, I have floated just above the poverty line. So, and yet yeah. you present very um, – you present wealthy. You present well taken care of. And mm. I'm wondering if – I would beg to differ on the wealthy. Okay. So, so explain. We're, with that, you're kind of equating – and not you, many, just a general you. People equate – the way that I look with wealth in the sense that uh, only wealthy people are allowed to 
look nice. And I'm not about looking rich, even though I've been accused of that. Um, uh, I'm attentive to detail. Again, remember, like, the foundation of this is I am not wealthy. I am not a billionaire. I'm not a millionaire. I am a thousandaire. That's Mm. a word I invented. Um, You have a trademark on that, too? I should. Uh, But I... um, I'm attentive to detail. I care about the condition of my shoes. I have very inexpensive ones, and I have a couple of expensive pairs, and I take equal care of, you know, all of them. Um, I tend to the heel so it doesn't look worn. I I care about what kind of stitching is on the collar of a dress shirt, uh, the length of a sleeve. That doesn't mean, you know, rich. that's not rich people stuff. Mm -hmm. That's I care about the detail stuff. So, yeah, interesting that I would... um I care about uh, how things conflate look. Conflate the two, yeah. And and appearances matter. People love to think, well, we we shouldn't be so judgmental, but people are. And it's not. I didn't. It, that's not my construct. We make judgments whether we like it or not. People are judging our shoes, our hair, our makeup, um, our jacket. People are making judgments about us consciously or subconsciously based on how we present. Did you develop this acute sense of how you present as a result of being an actor and going out on auditions and having to be aware of that? No. 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 So no. Because actors, we... actors are casual people generally. Um, this came about, I think... Because I've seen pictures of you in college and your look is definitely... Oh, that was an experimental time. I was wearing like yeah. combat boots and going up. I was a goth. I was I, I was goth fringe. <laughs> okay, right. So right, college an experimental time, and mm-hmm. yet most people get stuck there, right? With the uh, plastic flip flops mm. and the hoodies yeah. and the um, the pajama bottoms. <laughs> so how everyone did you... looks like they've been out all, up all night cramming for a midterm. I'm like, this is your look going out for lunch. Oh God, barf. So how did you how did you develop your sense of style? I had idols, uh, my father being one of them. Uh, my father was my first initial contact with how a man presents. I think of anyone growing up with a father who was at home, like mine, uh, at home being like my parents were not divorced. They had a good marriage, and my father was very present in my upbringing. Did he work uh, at Downtown. home at all? No, no, oh, no, no. no. Okay. He was, so you didn't see him like dress up for like... Uh, the the corner office in your house or something. No, he no, wasn't no, no, an no. He was a he was a go to the like office that. and work nine to five kind of a guy, and he wore suits. You know, he wore he had, he liked his Brooks Brothers suits. There were times I remember when finances were a little tough in our family, and he was going through some lean times, and he had to we had to really stretch a dollar, and but he still, you know, put on his floor shine wingtips and his. Um, I remember he had this Glenn plaid suit. That was probably his favorite one. He also had like a pinstripe. But my dad was a suit and tie guy, and that was my first influence. And then probably um, James Bond when I was a kid. Who doesn't love? I challenge any warm-blooded male who doesn't want to be James Bond, at least for a minute, or look at that guy and go, oh, I'd love to be that guy. No, they want that guy because of all the, the gadgets you know, and the to look, hang out with pussy the, galore. But it's the whole, it's the whole package. But if you really break it down, you'd never want to be that guy because what a lonely life and that'd be a lot of stress. But the fantasy, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, James Bond, probably starting with, well, um, when I was growing up in the 70s, Roger Moore was having his tenure. But Sean Connery set the template. And I'm a huge fan of Daniel Craig's um, term as Bond. Um, Cary Grant. Um, uh, uh, what is it about their look that you liked? Elegant, handsome, classic, timeless. There was a glamour. 
I liked the glamour, but it's not over the top. And Cary Grant, <laughs> Cary Grant was a freak of nature. Like, there's a movie he did called To Catch a Thief. It's a Hitchcock movie with Grace Kelly, and it's beautiful to look at, and it's a great movie story-wise too. But there is a scene, for example, where he is going to the beach, all right, to the beach. And he's got a necktie or what? He's got a jacket and a dress shirt and a cravat, like an ascot. Now, most guys who did that would look like a dick. You're like, <laughs> what a dick. But he, like, Cary Grant pulls it off. And um, I remember being uh, influenced by a movie in the early 80s called American Gigolo. Oh, I love that movie. With Richard oh Gere. Oh, my God. That scene, Richard Gere, when he's where getting he's dressed. getting dressed. That is the first time. That's why I brought it up. That that yep. song, I have the album of, mm-hmm. um, wait a minute, let me think of it, think of it, um, Smokey Robinson. Yeah. I, I, I play that song. He drops the needle that on that record, has a drink, does the a couple. The love I saw in you is just a mirage. couple lines of blow, and he's getting dressed. But that was the first time in movies that we saw a man laying out shirts Picking out a tie, which suit or jacket am I going to wear? A man who cared about the detail of his appearance going out that night. That was the first time we saw that. We've always seen the after after product, you know, like whether it's Cary Grant or Steve McQueen, they're out and about, but we never see them getting dressed. Mm -hmm. And Richard Gere um, doing that was the first time we saw that. And it was a movie that introduced Giorgio Armani to the American consumer. So how did you move from Ed... From admiration and mm-hmm. aspiration to actually s- putting down hard dollars and saying, I'm going to buy this. Right. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to get this pair of shoes. How, when did that – what was that first moment for you when you spent money toward an objective, a yeah. look that you were going after? Well, I mean these are casual times and it was a casual – it was a casualizing time when I had made that decision. You're talking when? Uh, early aughts. Okay. Maybe. I mean, I always liked, it's not like one day I was wearing t-shirts and had no suits in my closet. I always had, like my first job in New York required a suit. I was a receptionist at a hair salon. My old boss, Garen, who had the salon in Henry Bendel. Um, it was very expensive, high-end, exclusive. You know, it was my first taste of serving like a real luxury-seeking clientele. Was that the first time that you had to go out and purchase a suit? Uh, to, no. To match the, I mean, I'm... For a work? Yeah. 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 And, um... And he wanted. Wait a minute, you first said no, though. I thought you were going to say it was my first suit. Period. No. No, no. You had a suit for your first communion, I'm sure. But I I mean, like, (laughs) like going, like actually saying, "Ooh, I've got this job. I've got to up my game." Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. And tell me about that process. What was your thinking as you? Well, my first process, my first thinking was, you know, big time suit. I needed to satisfy the boss, and the uniform was a black suit. So my black suits, which I don't recommend for anybody unless it's part of your job. Um, but it was, they were, I had black suits, I had three of them, and I rotated them throughout the week. Um, they were inexpensive at the time, this was early 90s, but the suits were made in the same factory that Armani suits were, so the quality was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I had them tailored, and yeah, you know, I got my shirts, this was like pre-H&M, pre-like those kinds of stores. Mm-hmm. I think I probably went to, I don't know, Bloomingdale's or Macy's or something and got the shirts that I needed for work. You mentioned tailored, and I'm wondering if that's the make or break, oh, right? Oh, for sure. Because every guy has a suit. You have to have a suit for the the wedding, the funeral, mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's hopefully the, navy the, blue. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. well, I don't know about that, but okay, there you go. Navy <laughs> blue. Um, but to answer your question about how did this start, yeah. I always, again, I always admired those figures, those icons and idols. And there's a part of me, and I think a lot of men experience this, I'd love to be that guy, but I'm afraid to because people are going to look at me. I'm afraid to. Yes. Because I'm going to overstep my station. I'm going to look nicer than the boss. Or, uh, yeah, I'm going to step outside my my station in life, and it's going to be inappropriate. To that I say, wrong, and let it go. And I took a leap. And I said, you know, pardon my French. Well, it's my own podcast. I can say it. But I said, fuck it. I wrote a post about this. I I think it was on my blog. I think it's called, it's the one called um, Why I Love James Bond. And I talked about this very thing. And I said, you know what? I want to look like that. That's the, that's the person I want to look like. That's what I want to be. And so I started to just be it instead of thinking about it or dreaming about it or wishing it. Um, and I took the leap. And now I'm known in certain circles as, oh, George, George who wears the suits on the bike. And this is George. And right. I will tell you that once I made that decision, my life changed in terms of employment opportunity, the rooms to which I was given access, uh, better tables in restaurants, people treat you differently. Now, that's with your particular elegant, suited-up look. Mm -hmm. There are men who go for a different look. Uh, Farrell, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You mean Pharrell Williams? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pharrell, okay. Emphasis on the wrong side. Well, he's a pop star. That's different. Different rules apply to pop stars. Well, and he he's uh, king of the statement pieces, uh-huh. right? What if the that's... Hat. The Smokey Bear hat. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> the I Ranger love it. hat. Yeah, it was he great. He pulls it off. Yes. Um, those high cheekbones, that nose. Oh, man, he's he's got such a profile. But he's one of those charmed figures. Like RuPaul wears suits but, that I would never recommend for any other man. Uh, yeah, but RuPaul's, RuPaul's man a- drag is amazing. Okay. RuPaul is an extremely well-dressed celebrity and beautifully tailored. But your, but what if somebody aspires to that? That I mean, that mm-hmm. you're pos- positing, oh, you're yeah. positioning those styles as um, out of reach. But I would argue that some men looking at your style or at the James Bond style, Cary Grant style, would say that's out of reach. What if you want to aspire to that? To like. Pharrell? Yeah. Oh, you can. It's the, the um, part of it is knowing who you are. I know who I am and I know who I'm not and I know where and where I'm comfortable and where I'm not comfortable. Um, I, how do I want to put this? I don't, I'm not a sartorial screamer, meaning I don't, I'm not interested personally, me, George, I'm not interested in wearing garments that one notices from across the street. Um, I don't think I require that level of special effects. Um, Some people might want to go that extra distance. There are women who do it too. Um, And you're talking about sort of outsized uh, personality in terms of how they dress. RuPaul, Pharrell Williams. There's a guy in New York. He's fabulous. His name is Patrick McDonald. He is a dandy times 50 on steroids. And Patrick's look, he wears makeup. But he's always in a suit, and his, one of his signatures is a hat. He has a collection of hats. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Wolfe, the, the late author. Yeah, with his white way. suit, mm-hmm. his ivory suit. That started because the white suit was the only one he had. <laughs> and so he kind of, that was his trademark. You know, I would advise anybody, experiment when you're in your 20s or whatever, but find a look. 
And by the time you're 40, you should know what that look is and just live in it. When you first stepped out in your look, how did that feel? I mean, because part of you mentioned this, right? The the tension between who you want to be Mm -hmm. and that self-esteemy, weird, mucky stuff about who you think you are. Or aspirational. Yeah, and and bridging that gap. Mm -hmm. Like, this is who I am. I am allowed to step out Mm -hmm. and into this role. How did that feel for you? Do you remember that first moment? Like, was there there a day where you really really got your your groove on and stepped out and thought, okay, this is it. I'm rocking it, and and I want to keep doing this? I think the first time – I can't remember the specific day, but I can remember the feeling – of wearing, for example, a suit that was custom-made, affordably, I might add, because we have a lot of online options for that, for a, a kind of made-to-measure custom experience that used to be out of reach unless you were able to spend thousands. Now, in the Internet age, one can have that for less than half a grand. Um, but when I first put on a custom suit, and one that was made for me, literally, and it fit me like um, not a tight glove... It fit me like a glove. Um, It felt amazing. And I knew I looked nice. And I could see people looking. And I could could notice people, yeah, I could notice people noticing. Mm. Um, And also, it wasn't, as I said, my choice in fabrics and colors and patterns is not flashy, as you know. Uh, My palette is, for some people, probably very boring. Um, It's about the subtle things, the cut. The length of the jacket. How does it? How does the jacket fit along the curve of your back? Does it form to your body, or is it squeezing it, which is a no-no? Um, things like that. People subconsciously notice that there's something really right about what's going on with that guy who's dressed really well. You didn't have your dad in your life when you were coming into this. No. Uh, did you have any mentor who you turned to when you? went for a suit fitting, uh, or did you ask the tailor you worked with, tell me how this is supposed to look? Um, no. I had a friend I admired who has since passed away. Uh, he's an old actor friend of mine who was always in a world full of actors who were in were wearing, like, hoodies and stuff. He always wore a jacket and a tie. He was one of the people who said, when you go to the theater, wear a jacket and a tie. And, be res- and it's about respect. It's respect for you respect for the people you're going out with and respect for the places and spaces you're visiting. Mm. And you show up with it with for it with a sense of occasion and respect. Uh, he was one, but he never took me to a tailor or anything, but he, I, I, I admired him for that. And I noticed, you know, I'm very observant. But no, I knew from reading, there were books and magazine, you know, articles and magazines about tailoring, and I thought, oh, that's how that works. Oh, that's how much shirt cuff you're supposed to show under a jacket. Oh, that's what a spread collar on a shirt is. And I like that one. And learning the vocabulary, both the um, the visual language and the words for it. And there's, what it means. there's a book you've, show, you've showed to me. Which one? Uh, it was like, what, 1940s, 1950s? It's a classic... How to be a gentleman, is that right? Oh, how to be a man? Yeah. Oh no, that's not old. That's from my idol, my one of my idol idol idols, Glenn O'Brien. Okay, tell me about that. Glenn O'Brien was the style guy in GQ magazine for a long time. He goes all the way back to like Andy Warhol's interview. 
Uh, Andy Warhol hired him and another guy, I forget who, to write movie reviews. Paid him nothing because Andy was notoriously cheap. Um, but it was exposure and experience, and Glenn became a writer. He had a, like a cable access show in New York called TV Party. Um, he was very hooked into the downtown scene, the art world, um, and very well-dressed. Glenn is from Cleveland, went to St. Ignatius High School, uh, grew up in the same town as I did, and went to a Jesuit college. I went to Boston College. He went to Georgetown. <laughs> he was a Hoya. I was an Eagle. Um, but Glenn died earlier, or last year. Um, he was in his early 70s. Uh, I never met him, but we had exchanges on Twitter. I always wanted to meet him. Funny writer, smart, and wrote the Style Guy column in GQ magazine and would answer readers' questions. Like, is it appropriate to wear, you know, jeans with a linen jacket or whatever? And his answer would be not just enlightening but hilarious. Mm. And um, so his, that book, How to Be a Man, I think came out, I want to say like 07 or 08 or maybe 09. And it's his take on not just like how to be a man, how to dress, like uh, about manners, behavior. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from him? Give a shit about how you look, about how your apartment looks, um, how you treat people. Give a damn. Was it from him that you got your um, personal rule of thumb to always present in a suit when you are out in the city? Uh, he's part of it. You know, my whole, you know, if I were to put my personal style deities on an altar, it's a combination. Mm. He's one of them. Gay Talese is one. Um, Gore Vidal, God, I miss his tone and wit. Um, Cary Grant, of course. Uh, there are others. I'm not thinking of them David now. David Beckham? Uh, yeah. David looks pretty good. I love how he combines like rock and roll with really good tailoring. Right. He's got tattoos going up the neck and down the arm. I think it's fabulous. Yeah. And he's also, here's the thing about David Beckham. He doesn't wear loud suits. He's extremely handsome. He doesn't need that extra layer of wow because mm. he's already wearing it on his face. Yeah. I noticed also something. Rob Lowe was on um, Bill Maher's show real time on HBO once. He was on the panel. And Rob was just wearing a simple navy jacket and a white shirt. I don't think he had a tie on. And I'm going, how simple, but he's Rob Lowe. Yeah. He's extremely good looking. He doesn't need a purple jacket with glitter on it. You know, I see some of these guys rolling down the red carpet at an award show, and I want to slap their stylists. Like, that guy's already handsome. He doesn't need to wear purple velvet. Mm -hmm. You know, he can wear black. The face is already doing the work. You know, keep it simple. Yeah. I want to return to this idea about being comfortable standing out because mm -hmm. I think it's so key about developing your own look mm -hmm. and living into it, um, especially your brand, the suit, the cufflinks, the statement glasses, the pocket square. Is fashion diametrically opposed to the introvert and the self-conscious? I mean, what would you say to people who are shyer than you about growing a pair and, and, and doing it? Well, living it. I've always been nervous about that word, fashion, the other F word. Um, <laughs> I mean, capital F fashion, because I think it makes people, Anna Winter is right. I mean, it makes people uncomfortable and makes them nervous. And there have been some great witticisms about fashion versus style over the years. Like, fashion is what comes out twice a year, and style is what you pick from it. I think it was Lauren Hutton who said something like that. Mm. Um, fashion fades, style is forever. I forget who said that. Fashion is a business. 
Style is what you are and what you wear. Mm. So what would I say to someone who's nervous? Mm -hmm. Start with something small. Start at the beginning. To me, the first two investments one should make are with a good pair of shoes, whether they be simple Oxford, like no wingtip broguing on them, but a simple pair of black or very, very dark brown Oxfords and a blue jacket blazer. That, those two things are transformative. I think shoes make the man oh, and the totally. woman. Yeah. It starts with the shoes. If you want to know Good something, if you want all the way up. to know a lot about a man, look at his shoes and also notice his watch if he's wearing one. Mm. And it's not about expensive. It's about the chosen because, again, I've, I've got Aldens, which are almost $800 a pair, and I've got Floorshimes, which I got for, you know, 175 on sale. I just looked at GQ's 15 best new menswear items to buy this week, and they're sweaters and uh, leopard print pants, Mm -hmm. uh, stuff. That's fashion. Stuff you'd never wear. No. Once upon a time, I would have. I had leather pants and stuff, sure. This was in your goth days. My rock and roll. I I worked in nightclubs. Um, I had pierced ears. Um, I had, like, what is now the... um, white supremacist haircut, which is shaved on the back and on the sides and like a pompadour on the top. How come uh, you didn't stick with that look? Well, too extreme. Yeah. And also I needed, a, you know, you limit who will hire you, <laughs> especially if you're, like if you're an actor, yeah, if you're playing a role, you got to wear the hair. Um, but, you know. Yeah, don't. You don't want to tattoo yourself out of employment. Right? You don't want to pierce yourself out of employment opportunity. Um. Do you feel men's fashion magazines like GQ and Esquire speak to you? No. Generally, no. I like some of the writing. I like the voices that challenge the business of fashion. Um, magazines are in a, as you know, I mean, magazines are in a tricky place right now. And they got to they gotta sell. You know, they've laid off and, you know, cut off so many things. Like some magazines are no longer doing print. Some magazines are down to just like a couple issues a year. So... You know, business ain't great for magazines, so there's a certain desperation to sell and include their advertisers in their editorial content. Right. So there are, like Glenn O'Brien, when he was writing for GQ, he was fired, I think because he was expensive. There was a new editor on board or something like that. I don't know the specific reason, but about two years before he died, he was let go of his position as the style guy, and then they brought in someone young and I'm certain less expensive and less experienced and certainly less interesting. Um, so where do you go if you're not going There are some blogs. The, the, the blog the blog world kind of shook up and the magazines because you were able to get specialization and specificity about certain things. Like there are blogs that are just about custom tailoring. There are blogs that are just about accessories. Um, so, yeah. Not that I want to detract from your blog, but what are – who do you go to? Who do you like in the blogosphere? Oh gosh, there's a well. There's a magazine I like called The Rake. It's out of England. Um, oh, I like it already. I like. Oh, the the, I mean, the photography, the print edition is particularly nice. I don't get. I should resubscribe because it's a nice magazine. It just feels good in your hands. It's got good weight to it. I find the website hard to read. The text is too small. Mm. Um, so the Rake. Um, the, uh, 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 have you been to Dapper? There's a blog called Put This On. Oh, okay. It's 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 that. a um that I like. There's a guy named Derek Guy who writes for it. He's very funny. Uh, he has a Twitter handle called Die Workwear. Um, I love his attitude. I love his tone. Um, it's irreverent and it calls fashion out. 
confessions bullshit, and he makes fun of it, and I love it. Um, and there are writers who have written books and contributed to magazines, like G. Bruce Boyer, who was amazing. Uh, Alan Flusser, um, Glenn O'Brien. Uh, yeah, guys like that. Let's talk about the suit, every man's staple. Can't mm-hmm. go wrong yet, right? And, and Ah, men, the men, suit. Men, 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 that is the, the perfect suit. place in which to hit pause on this interview. And we're going to have to hold off for part two, which will be coming up in a week or so. Uh, and this was the first time in a long time that someone had asked me questions about my origin story, my sort of influences with style and how this all got started and whatnot. My dear friend and podcast co-host Amy and I sat down, this was like in October when we recorded that, and uh, so it's great to listen to it, and um, I hadn't thought about these things in a long time, because as I said, nobody really asks me, so it was good to do. I was really, I was really uh, happy we did that. And for those of you who don't know, Amy and I, uh, to uh, give another plug to our podcast, are the co-hosts of a podcast called The Downtowner. And it's a show about Cleveland's newest, oldest neighborhood, uh, specifically downtown Cleveland, where both she and I live. We actually live in the same building. And... She's a news background person. I'm more of the sort of lifestyle person, so we describe the podcast as a crossroads of lifestyle and urban policy. And I'm learning a lot about how things work in a city, and each episode we do has different a different guest. Sometimes we have a couple of guests, and I got to do a little research and things, so I'm learning about a lot of this stuff, and it's a fascinating process. I'm really enjoying the journey. So if you are so inclined, please check out our podcast, The Downtowner, on the IdeaStream website at ideastream.org slash thedowntowner. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcasts. So look for The Downtowner, hosted by yours truly and the divine Amy Eddings. As for the George Hahn podcast, that is it for this episode. You can catch up with me on my website at georgehahn.com, of course. I'm also on Facebook at the George Hahn page, and I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at George Hahn. And in real life, I'm also George Hahn. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>